Hi, I'm Phil Paluccia from Billionaires in Boxers, and you are about to enjoy an interview hosted by one of our guest hosts, Andrew Talent. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Confessions of a Successful Leader, hosted by me, Andrew Talent, the self-coaching expert. In each episode of the show, we hear the insightful confessions of a successful leader who wants to inspire others to live their professional and personal dreams. I am always keen to hear your feedback, particularly in relation to the kinds of leaders you would like me to invite onto the show in future. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich insights from our special guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Successful Leader, hosted by me, Andrew Talents, the self-coaching expert. This week, I'm delighted that Janan Pishkin has joined us in the studio. Janan is a certified stakeholder-centred coach. She started her career in internal audit and pursued her 20 years corporate life in risk management, compliance and financial control functions, creating departments from scratch to become aligned with global standards of the organizations. She has worked for global leading banks like BNP Paribas and Societe Generale. And prior to establishing her coaching business, she had been the HSBC MENA Regional Director for Commercial Banking Business Risk Control Management. Jana has varied experience working in Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, Azerbaijan, and the UK. She has also lectured at Istanbul University in financial management, and now she is an executive coach working with banking and finance professionals, and she's a mentor, Women in Banking and Finance Association. She has an MBA degree from the University of Warwick and BSc degree in economics from Middle East Technical University in Turkey. Janan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you for this nice presentation about me. I just feel so honored to be here with you and share our personal journey with you. No, thank you. And our audience is looking forward to hearing from you. So just to start with, um, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where your current focus is? Oh, that's cool. Uh, As you have just summarized, uh, I had been in the corporate life like 20 years. And after that, I have shifted to my second career in coaching. Actually, I started with business coaching. I started working with business owners, how to run their business. And I was using my corporate life experience with them. And uh, that, that, was, uh, that was in our first foreign country uh, experience as a family. And then, um, you know, when you have a family and with your partner, life can take you because of you or your partner's journey, let's say. So uh, because of my husband's second career uh, as an academician after the financial sector, we moved to Azerbaijan. And I started their executive coaching. I was invited to be one of the executive coaches of a holding company who has investment banks. Uh, so I came to the coaching world, the executive coaching world by invitation, in fact, and they invited me because of my 20 years in the corporate life and that I have gone through all these stages uh, with these executives. And uh, after moving from Dubai to Azerbaijan, we spent two years over there. And four years ago, we moved to UK. And I moved my business from Azerbaijan to UK and I'm continuing working with 
executives and also um, volunteering at Women in Banking and Finance Association of the UK and mentoring some uh, young professionals in the banking industry. They are generally women, <laughs> you can guess. Yeah. And nowadays, the focus is, you know, uh, if I happen to say, it's not only business, I just talked about business, but as a, being a member of a family with two children, they're already grown up, but uh, the focus uh, is not 100% business. You are not just always carrier, carrier, carrier. So I can say uh, my the 60 or 70% is much more about my personal life and family let's say, and business is like 30 to 40. And I can call it that this is the spread of the time. So it might have been a different percentage when I was in my early 30s. But in this part of my life, in this phase of my life, it's more about like this and I'm happy with it. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've spoken before today as well. So just give the, the audience a little bit more a feel of when you're not working and obviously involved with family, which I know takes a lot of time. What sort of other personal interests do you have, Jenna? Ah, that's cool. So this is something um, I I have always kept my personal hobbies or interests in my hand, wherever, whenever. It, I have never been a 100% busy person because that would not be leading me to a sustainable happiness. So oh, my per since my university days, I was part of a contemporary dance workshop and I happened to learn some pioneers in this world of uh, contemporary dance and it was uh, really interesting. And wherever I go to like UAE or Azerbaijan, or I was looking for a dance or a contemporary dance, contemporary dance mm -hmm. like Marta Graham, maybe you might have heard yeah. of her, uh, that kind of square. And nowadays, <laughs> I, we moved like one year ago to where we are settled in the UK from the previous place. I started salsa classes <laughs> to ah. enjoy my time uh, at least once a week. And um, why I love it, this is it's a space which is there's no family, there's no business, and there's no expectation. There's no performance issue or expectation from me. It's just for fun. And the spirit is uh, really appealing to, appealing to me. And also I'm quite interested in uh, visual arts so or performance arts, let's say. So it's an opportunity here living in the UK to see those exhibitions, those performance, wherever you are living in the nearest city, let's say. Absolutely. I know with salsa, you need to particularly be present. It's not one of those where you can start thinking about it. you need to be present, don't you? So I can see why that's such a enjoyable thing that you do. Exactly. <laughs> and no, you fail no. when you and, concentrate too much yeah. on the steps and whether I'm yes. just watching. <laughs> No, absolutely. And did you find that when you were a child, you enjoyed the, the sort of arts and dancing? Were you um, doing it then, or is it something more recent that you've got to become more? Yes, yes. I, but I was admiring the. There were, uh, you know, I was a child in 1970s, so there was a television in Turkey, and the, every day there were 20 minutes of ballet performance on TV, and I was watching them with admiration. And I couldn't have an opportunity because my family was not interested in my, I should be going, doing some dance, using some music classes or whatever. Also, they were not interested in whether I'm performing good or they were just leaving me as I am. So I was looking for something that I can do what I'm interested in. 
And interestingly, while I was preparing for university exams in Turkey, I came to uh, learn that there is a contemporary group. It's the first non-professional group in Turkey who is doing contemporary dance. And uh, I was just um, planning which social group I can attend if I had an admission from one of the top universities in Turkey. It's a technical university, but there were a wide range of social activities. And I was just planning. I was not just wondering whether I'll be admitted or not. I was just planning what I will be doing when I enter that stage. So it was always a one step ahead. And that perspective, not only for arts or social activities, let's say, that perspective always helped me uh, enjoying what I'm doing. You know, you can guess moving from country to country with a family, registering the house, the kids and whatsoever. Sometimes it was on my response because you were going because of my job or it was sometimes for my husband. I was always just checking what I can do in that place to enjoy the most of my life, what I have never had the opportunity to do uh, and what I can uh, get the most of that place. So when we moved from Azerbaijan to UK, I looked for dance classes and I found adult ballet classes <laughs> in Staines. And I did that there as well. It was really relaxing and fine. You know, it's, so now I had the opportunity to <laughs> salsa. So it's not only about doing something social, but it's only making your life more full, more satisfying, so that you don't put all the eggs in one place to be happy. Absolutely. And speaking about childhood uh, experiences, what, what childhood experiences most shaped your leadership style, do you think, in the, in the early years? Oh, okay. So uh, my mother was a working mom. She was a teacher. My when I just came to remember those days, I was an accommodating child because I don't want my mom's life hard, even harder with my issues and problems. So I was just sorting out everything and not trying, I was trying not to create problems, but also maybe supporting and helping her with what, and what I was observing, a working mom who is struggling to make time sufficient for the homemaking and all with the limited time from his, from her work. So probably I have carried this with me because it was working for me back then. Yeah. Accommodating yeah. person. And that's a great team member. You are so well appreciate someone is just sorting out the problems because you need to do this just for being equal or zero. It's not for success, but not to be out of the group or just for the sake of fitting in. But after uh, to a certain extent, that's fine and that's something good. But it's just more about, you know, just ticking the boxes. And when you have in the career, in the corporate life, in the professional life, you are not always a team member. You need to go grow as a leader. And a leader's ultimate responsibility is to provide an environment for their team to become as successes for myself, for example, and also become uh, effective team members who are equipped with sufficient skills and traits. So in that sense, I need to provide the space for them to experience 
to let them fail, to let them maybe uh, have some regrets or whatsoever. If you are accommodating everything to your team, they will never grow uh, as being successors or leaders of the future or will not be so efficient that the organization you are working for is looking for. So that was a turning point or as an enlightenment I got uh, when I was just shifting from a, you know, a team member, a senior professional, and then turning from a senior professional into a leader requires. Sure. And then thinking about that time, how did you cope with that change? Because you say it's a, one thing to become aware and know you've got to do something about it, but sometimes it's hard to, to let go of that, isn't it? What kind of strategies did you have? Uh, no, we all, these are just called uh, in the positive intelligence uh, area, it's called they are our saboteurs and they are serving for us. They are good for us to a certain extent. And they have, for example, for this accommodating child, it served for me when I was a child or maybe in the primary school or high school, but they are no more serving. To a certain extent, they are positive traits. It's not bad about being a hyperachiever or a controller because you, you are doing clear work, correct work or whatever. But when they go to extremes, they will be hindering your development and you will not be able to move out of your comfort zone, but just ticking the boxes, which is no more sufficient. Um, those saboteurs have to be silent. So silent, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. The first step is acknowledging that we are under the control of, of our saboteurs. Yes. Now, this is not something good for me. I know I am doing over controlling or trying to achieve everything, which is I will not need all of them. Acknowledging them and silencing them so that my sage mind, my right brain, my emotional, whatever you call, be able to use the wisdom, the know-how, the empathy, the creativity or innovative side can uh, let's say, go into action and provide a much uh, effective and much useful place. So the most important thing I can say is the acknowledgement. Until you don't acknowledge those saboteurs, you can't do a, a creative job. It will be something just for ticking the boxes. So that was my uh, one of the tools I have used during my both coaching journey and also in my corporate life. And for those that are listening, it's probably worth them um, looking as well on, online. And also um, there is a book available called Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shamin. And that's where he references the, the saboteurs. And just to be open, my my top three, which are the ones I'm always becoming aware of, are controller, hyperachiever and hyperrational, which have served me very well during a career, but not always in relationships. You know, I need to be very aware of that when they're there. And one of the things that he talks about, which I know you're aware of as well, is this ability to become aware of when the saboteurs are present and not being helpful at the extreme when we're feeling negative. So when we're starting to judge people or ourselves or situations and trying to become present to that so that we become, you know, in a neutral or a positive place. So would you be able to expand, Janan, just in terms of how you've, you know, again, got techniques to try and move from that negativity sometimes you experience into more of a present state mm -hmm. or a positive state. It's quite difficult to achieve, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Um, 
In fact, uh, maybe we all know that negative experiences are so strong. It's really hard to, exp uh, to forget a negative experience in, in, in our lives. Okay, let me give you an example. When I first started my um, career in internal audit, it was 19, beginning of 1990s, let's say, uh, there were fax machines. <laughs> and there was a leader in the audit team, and he asked me to send the fax to the headquarters. It was the first time I was going to use a fax machine because I, my father is not a business person that I happen to use a fax machine or I didn't have any opportunity. I went in, in front of the machine and tried to send the, the paper. There were sounds coming and I couldn't manage to send it because I didn't have a correct report from the machine. I returned back to my leader and I said, I couldn't send it. And he said that, you are graduating from a top school and you can't send them facts. And this has engraved in my career so many years that it took so many, so much time to forget that I am a capable person. That's why those negative um, experiences are too strong. One thing I can suggest is not concentrate too much on these negatives because trying to rationalize them might get them stronger. It is what it is. It was an experience. It might be a lesson that you need to learn, but you just need to move on. Take the lesson if you there is, and the lesson from this experience, now I can say that there is no more fax machine, and I didn't lose anything in my career because I was not able to send the fax to somewhere else. And the other side, uh, there is a, if I may share this uh, practice that in the positive intelligence we are using, you divide your life into five stages, five phases, let's say. Yeah. And in each phase, we are going through major struggles and challenges and shift. And there is a, like a, a transformation in our life and our personality. And we just turn, uh, leave our, let's say, if I, we are... I'm 50 years old, for example, the first 10 years, second 10 years, and the second 10 years, whatever I have experienced has helped me to do something because I know that I don't have a supportive family, that they are not um, guiding me where to go, what, how to study and how to get a good degree from a university. I came to learn that I need to find it myself and it's easy. <laughs> So there are rankings yeah. for and how to prepare for them. So there is a learning from that. And now when I look back to the, the to that second phase, for example, that from uh, my teenage years, I know that it was a gift that my parents did not impose me to do something, to study something, and they just left me free to se select whatever I wanted. So that was a gift. So the strategy is, Try to look each phase in your life, what is the challenge, and what that challenge provided a kind of a gift, a lesson learned, that help you to move to your second stage where you have experienced some other phases. And uh, now in the last phase of my life, that's why my book, um, I'm, I'm just living like a semi-retired person, I can say. It's, it's not a full-time job. I'm not doing from nine to six work. 
But I also have two children. One has just graduated from university and one is just doing his A levels. They need a person, a grown-up person who can guide them and maybe share her experiences so that they can most of it. So that's why it's better that I have less business in this period of my time so that I can have more time for my family and also myself. So the strategy I can just summarize is try to find the challenge if you are just keeping it. Find the gift in it and uh, describe what this has shifted you or how, what this has transformed you into a person who you are today. What I love about that, Janan, is that um, you're also talking about the ability to lead yourself and that ability to self-coach where you know it's important to be able to provide service in terms of what you choose to do, but also in your personal life, you have other relationships, other stakeholders, which you need to be in service of. And I think too many leaders not forget, but certainly focus on the former rather than sometimes the latter. And so I really respect the fact you've made that decision in your career. Um, what you've talked mm-hmm, about there mm-hmm. as well is that is that option, isn't it, where we're in a challenging session uh, of our life and seeing what the gift is in terms of this in front of us now. Um, when did you realise, do you think, in your career earlier in life that it was really important to ask for help? Um, because sometimes, again, leaders are not very good for asking for help uh, when we need it. When was the first time you can remember that it was very important for you to do that? (laughs) When I became a coach. (laughs) Yeah, great. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish I have hired a coach or uh, found a proper (laughs) mentor that would have uh, given me a guideline uh, in that sense. Well, uh, we think that... I just talked about ticking the boxes, doing the right things, perfecting some perfect timing. Uh, do you remember the film Sliding Doors about a young oh, woman? Oh, yeah, great film. She yeah, was trying, film. she was going somewhere else and she was missing the train and there were two scenarios running parallel during the film. Uh, but one, she misses the train and the one, she catches the train. And in summary, in the in the end, she is just experiencing the similar things, but it's not uh, more. It's more not about where you started and where you finished. It's more about ju- the journey, how you are living that part. If you just concentrate on the challenges and how you are struggling or what, so you how much you have paid for all these, you will be stuck in where you are. And even though you have reached where you wanted, it is going to be, okay, what's the next mountain I need to reach out? So I can guess for a hyperachiever, most of the leaders are all hyperachievers because they are motivated with their achievements. Because they have achieved, they have uh, been assigned as leaders. But it is after some time ruining their personality, their relationship, their life, and it is not sustain. It is no more sustainable in the corporate life as well, because there will be a time we don't need you anymore. We don't have a place in this organization for you because there's already someone else. And this is more about when you are just ticking the boxes or fitting into a profile. You are just becoming a factory product with the same specs. There are hundreds of let's say Harvard Business School 
graduates. There are hundreds of LSE graduates. There are hundreds of, let's say, Morgan Stanley, McKinsey alumni members. They are not just very unique. What is making you unique? Why should they be buying you like an apple when you are go going to a grocery store, selecting you rather than the, the next apple? Uh, they're, they're just coming from the same factories. So our uniqueness is making us being selected, being preferred, and being a good stakeholder. And stakeholder is just a very, let's say, corporate terminology, but we have so many stakeholders in our personal lives, including our partners, our children, our friends. Uh, and especially I can share in this point, when we moved from our home country, from Turkey to other countries, you came to realize that your friends were just temporary or they were friends of that circumstance or context. Now you're experiencing some other life which is having some other issues uh, like settling in a new culture, being a non-native like me. So when I moved to UK, especially, okay, I, I have some English, good English, let's say, being able to work in global banks, let's say. But when I came to UK, oh God, I'm not a native. That's fine. <laughs> that's a fact, but that's fine. It's not an issue. Try to find your what is different from. So, okay, I am a graduate of top school. I have worked with global banks and what there. They are all hundreds, but there are very few people who have worked in different cultures who have led a, a team of um, people from different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures. Let's say so. That is making me unique and making me let's say not only survive, but also enjoy what I'm living. Absolutely. And what I love about your story is your ability to lead your own life as you adapt to the different cultures that you've been, you know, working in and living in. And I'm sure that's going to be an inspiration to particularly many women out there who have to, have to balance that life of actually working in a new country and also um, acclimatizing the family as well. So with your hat on in terms of mentor, which I know you're really passionate about, um, what advice would you offer to leaders out there, both men and women, um, that can relate to your story today about the, the transitioning um, and how to channel that early experiences into that sustainable leadership? How do you, you know, keep that going? What kind of advice would you give to them? Uh, I would suggest them to move, um, move apart from, move away from their profile. Just try to view themselves as someone else from far and prepare uh, some kind of, it's not a CV, it's some kind of a business case. Prepare yourself like a business case, as if someone is going to invest in your company. We are all products in the HR market, let's say, human resource market. So anyone to buy you should be, will be investing in you. Not only their money or your salary, but also their time, and they will be spending their energy with you. Just review your profile like a case study and try to find out so that you can come across so few people in the market that they will, you will be preferential and you will be standing out from the crowd. As I just gave given the example of going to a grocery, there are hundreds of mm. 
apples over there, you're just selecting something that is appealing, there's something shining, something standing out. And review um, and consider your CV like a product in the market. And just review it as if you are you do, someone who doesn't know anything about your industry or whatsoever. Try to show how you are, uh, you have what you have learned from that experience. For example, I have worked for HSBC Middle East Commercial Bank, business accountant. What I did, there's a job description, but what I did and what I have learned during that experience, there were quite a lot of things I already knew. But there were quite a lot of things I have experienced the first time, and that will be useful for you, for me, in my future. Uh, it was during the HSBC's uh, deferred prosecution agreement, and there we were interviewed by the monitor that was uh, recruited by the U.S. government, and those guys were previously judges, and they don't know anything about the bank or whatsoever. Staying calm. I have learned how to stay calm will help me to present my business, my work properly so that they can understand and serve their stakeholder needs. As a summary, everyone around you, including your prospective recruiters or your current organization, they are all stakeholders and they are looking for buying a product that is appealing to them, that is beneficial for them and try to find out what are the, um, your return for them could be maximum, different from others, let's say. I hope I have <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, thank you, that's question. really good advice. Uh, or, yeah, absolutely. Did I jump to from subject to, to no, another it's lovely. Yeah. No, and that links in. So you talk about stakeholders, and I agree it is a corporate term, but if we think about stakeholders being somebody vested in your future success and people that you're in service of, it'd be lovely to hear finally from you, um, you know, who or what will you be in service of in the future? Uh, because obviously you've got this balance that you're living and it's important to you. And if people are interested in what you're going to be in service of, how can they contact you if they want to collaborate? Oh, that's good. So as I said, I am coaching the executives in the corporate life and I'm sharing what I have experienced in the corporate life like themselves. So I have I have gone through all these. I have all lived these. I have done all these. I have failed like them. I have succeeded like them. Uh, so I'm using these experiences to coach one, on a one-to-one -one basis to the executives. And also I'm working with uh, teams in these organizations for a group coaching uh, term uh, concept that I um, the idea is both creating an effective team and also creating a team of pe uh, people who are leading like a coach so that they don't need a coach for themselves or also um, being an internal coach for their team members. Uh, I am also um, voluntarily mentoring some alumni members from my university and also women in banking and finance. If there are any financial professional women in this community who is listening to me, I would strongly suggest them to become a member of Women in Banking and Finance Association. They are providing quite a wide range of resources, trainings, and also 
free mentorship from their uh, experienced mentors. And my company coaching practice is called CPM Coaching Consultancy Limited. And my website is cpmconsultancy.co.uk. And my email is Kanan Piskin, C-A-N-A-N. This is how my name is uh, spelled in English, let's say, C-A-N-A-N, Piskin, at cpmconsultancy.co.uk. Great, and everyone will be able to find the notes as well in the in the blog and the and the videos we post as well. Well, Jan, I really appreciate you. you sharing your experiences um, with our audience today. I know that you know many of them will have been inspired uh, to reflect on their own leadership style and also how they might take a different approach to leading themselves and others in the future. So, thank you very much for your time. Uh-huh. And I thank hope, you yeah. for um, hosting me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed yeah. uh, and I hope the audience will be enjoying the talk you had and uh, hope to see you again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Successful Leader. You can access all previous episodes of the show at confessionsofasuccessfulleader.com. If you are interested in finding out more about conscious leadership and self-coaching, just type in Andrew Talents into LinkedIn or your favorite browser and you'll find my contact details and all the content that you need. Until next time, don't forget to stay present, curious and above all, conscious. Thank you for enjoying this content by Billionaires in Boxes. If you would like to be a guest or a host, be sure to get in contact with us at billionairesinboxes.com.